Dazzle, which is just a gorgeous watch. So, but yeah, it's not Tesla watches or watch charts. So. The Tesla Q podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended for and should not be used as financial, investment, or trading advice. Research associated with fiscal decisions should be conducted elsewhere. The host of the show possesses no license or credentials to warrant accepting advice based on what is heard on the Tesla Q podcast. Additionally, even though the host and guests may hold positions in companies discussed on the show, they don't have insights into the next time step of the simulation. Therefore, do not make any financial decisions based on the contents of this podcast. Hello, this is TQ with the Tesla Cube podcast. This is episode nine, our interview with Tesla Charts. Do you have all the audio technical stuff worked out, Evacuation Boy? The audio engineering is looking good, TQ. And I wanted to offer a special 15% off the Evacuation Boy dot com the shorty store q15 q15 15 percent off all merch in january awesome and we're very excited today to be interviewing one of our favorite twitter users tesla charts and uh, i'd like to just say thank you again to tesla charts who i will be referring to often as tc throughout the course of the interview uh i'd like to thank him for agreeing to be on the podcast uh also like to thank Evacuation Boy for assisting with the production so that we could properly mask the voice of Tesla Charts. And with that, uh, just like to say hello, TC. Hello, uh, TQ. It's just, I guess, how I'll refer to you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's very exciting to be here. All right. Uh, obviously, throughout the course of the interview, you can be as vague as you need to with any of the questions to help protect your identity. Uh, that's part of why you agreed to be on the show today. So keep that in mind. So I, I kind of feel like I have to start with this question. Just how big is your short position? Yeah, so um, great question. And before I get into it, I, I do want to reiterate your disclosure. Uh, nothing that I say on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. I'm not a registered investment advisor. I don't manage anybody's money but my own. I've never managed anybody's money but my own. I've never worked on Wall Street, uh, and I'm not a professional. Uh, and that flows nicely into my answer to your question, which is for me, uh, I've said this from the beginning, although people are skeptical, especially the bulls. Uh, Tesla charts has always been a social media experiment with a small investment uh, tied to it and not the other way around. Uh, I started Tesla Charts to express uh, my opinions on a very controversial stock. Uh, never in my wildest dreams that I imagined would evolve to where we are today. Uh, but my short position is relatively small. I've disclosed my portfolio recently on Twitter. Uh, the extent of my position is uh, I, I always have a little bit of crash puts, near-month crash puts. Um, because of Tesla, if I wake up one day and Tesla zeroes out and I'm not in it, uh, I'd be very disappointed with myself. Uh, and then recently, I've started a short Tesla sell weekly puts against that short to generate a bit of premium to pay for those front month crash puts. Uh, but that position is is naturally hedged um, because half of it is long by selling the puts against my short. Uh, I'm just doing that because the volatility on the weekly options of Tesla. Uh, it's just crazy, 
and seemed like a, a smart way to generate a bit of premium to offset the cost of the puts that I have um, that expire every month as this saga continues to unfold. All right, thank you. Uh, I asked that question, of course, because several months back, Elon Musk on Twitter asked Tesla Charts how big his short position was, if you're not familiar with that that part of the story. Uh, so TC, do you have any charts that showed just how much that tweet from Elon helped boost your Twitter profile? So I, I no, it's an interesting question, and I could I could go back and look. I remember that day very well. Uh, it was Father's Day, and uh, I was at a barbecue with friends, and my phone just exploded, uh, as you can imagine. And uh, I caught, I actually caught a lot of flack from Tesla Q because I was too nice to Elon in my responses, according to many members of the Tesla Q community at that time. Um, it's kind of a tricky situation. It's not every day that uh, somebody with 22 million followers uh, tweets at you. Uh, I decided in that moment uh, to try to keep them engaged. And so I, I was nice and I didn't blow up the conversation. And he responded to me several times. Um, most people don't remember or wouldn't know, but immediately after finishing with me, um, he went on to Fred Lambert's Twitter handle, and that was the first time he basically promised to blow up the shorts, I believe, on Twitter. He said something to the effect of the shorts have three weeks until their positions explode. There's going to be carnage. Uh, and I think uh, he was just on Twitter uh, looking for a fight that day. Um, the reason he tweeted at me, I believe, is because two or three days earlier, I had posted uh, the Solar City thread, a 25 tweet thread, detailing a backwards look at the timeline of Solar City with the new information about a, a lawsuit ruling uh, in the Solar City case. Um, and that got pretty wide coverage. That thread actually did more for my uh, engagements and followers than Elon tweeting at me uh, because Zero Hedge um, posted that entire thread as a story on his website. Um, what Elon tweeting at me did do, however, was it radically increased the number of bots, uh, doxing attempts, um, um, sort of really rude and, and um, outrageous comments in my threads. That really went to the next level. Got some weird DMs, sort of the classic stuff. Um, so the the phrase is Elon's army, um, and, and many reporters have similar experiences when Elon tweets at them uh, in a way that isn't supportive. Um, the, the net result of that interaction was a substantial increase in bot attacks and doxing attempts uh, and so on. But most of the Tesla Q community that would have been following me were following me before that tweet and very few of the bulls that would support elon would follow me because of the nature of the account that i run and so elon's tweet itself didn't do a whole lot for for my engagement do you feel that there's a wide gap between your real life personality and your personality as tesla charts on twitter yeah, that's a that's a great question um in my real life i don't have random people that I don't know calling me bad names all day uh, and uh, filling my thread with various vulgarities. And so uh, I, I'd like to think that I'm pretty similar to the person I try to be on Twitter. 
but as I'm sure you've experienced on Twitter, it's actually kind of hard um, to not get pulled into such provocations. And I've certainly made my fair share of tweets that I regret. You can't tweet as often as I do and, and not wish that you could unsend a few of those tweets. Um, so, but no, I, I think I'm pretty similar to the, the character that I've developed as Tesla charts. I, I'm clearly very fascinated with data and the visualization of data. I like to mix in humor uh, as well. Um, and I, you know, so I'm pretty sure I'm the same person, but one never knows. I, in real life, I, uh, I, I consider myself to be a, a generous, giving person um, and mostly happy. And, and I try to be that way to the extent that I can on, on Twitter. I, I think that comes through. Um, what percentage would you say of, of being Tesla charts is more geared towards fun? And how much would you say is more towards serious research, just on a percentage breakdown basis? To me, serious research is fun. Uh, and I'm at a point in my life where I've been fortunate and I've worked very hard and I've achieved a level of success where I'm liberated to spend more of my days. Uh, more of the time during my days doing what I like as opposed to doing what I have to do. Uh, I really love data visualization, and I'm a deeply obsessive person. Maybe we can get into that, um, how I sort of stumbled onto this in the first place. Uh, I'm a one-hobby guy uh, when it comes to my obsessions, and so I'll spend years on one topic before I switch to another topic. And at the moment, Tesla is my topic, and it has been since well before I started. Tesla charts. Uh, and so I view Tesla charts as a natural extension of a topic that I'd studied a lot in a, in a period of my life where I was free to do um, more of what I enjoyed doing. And so I can tell you that making charts on Tesla and interacting on Twitter is, is one of the funnest things I've ever done. I really enjoy it. Uh, I've met countless great people anonymously through this account, um, and I'm very pleased by it. Uh, and so it to me, it, fun and research uh, are one and the same. Uh, I, it's like a giant mystery novel trying to unravel this enigma that is Tesla. Uh, to the extent that I've played a part in that with the rest of the Tesla Q community, I'm, I'm proud of it. Um, but it's been super fun. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't do it if it wasn't fun. That's, that's good to hear that, that you consider the research part to be fun. Uh, if, you, if, if they were completely separate, obviously you wouldn't have gotten to this level of, of Twitter following. Uh, this next one is a question that was submitted on Twitter. Do you have any plans to venture beyond Twitter, such as possibly writing Seeking Alpha articles, or does does that have no appeal to you due to the lack of interactivity? So I, it's an interesting question, uh, and and actually it gets to the genesis of why I started Tesla Charts. And so I, like many folks, um, remember fondly reading Montana Skeptics beautifully written articles on Seeking Alpha. I remember reading Mark Spiegel's long and totally comprehensive takedowns of Tesla in his investor letter. Uh, and then you would compare and contrast the logic and the data and the research in those media to what would get on CNBC or make the headlines uh, in newspapers. And it was very frustrating. And, and the insight to me at the time, and one of the reasons why I started Tesla Charts was that I came to the conclusion that in this social media era, nobody reads anymore. Um, they don't have the 
a discipline to read. I don't know whether Facebook, Instagram, Twitter um, has, you know, made the the size of information that people readily consume smaller. Um, so they won't sit down and read a long article uh, that is well-researched, but they will very quickly swipe through their Twitter notifications and like a few comments and retweet before they put their phone back in their pocket and, and go about their day. And so I, I thought, um, you know, what's potentially missing from the Tesla Q side and or something that I could uniquely add was how do you distill complexity into a striking visual that people will want to stop on and look at and click on um, that tells the story. Um, and that was just the way I'd like to tell stories. I, I'm always fascinated by how do you take a complex message and make it as simple as possible without losing much of the quality information. And that's sort of the genesis of my passion about charting. I, I, I joke on Twitter that chart is art. Um, I capitalize A-R-T and try to believe that. Um, I love doing it. Uh, I love making the striking visual. And that piece was, I think, missing from from the debate. And, and that was the niche that I decided to try to fill with Tesla charts. Um, and I've since learned uh, through this social media experiment that you can't get too narrow in your niche. Um, the narrower, the better, the, the more unique and consistent your social media account is, the higher the engagement. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I, I don't see how changing media to long form and seeking alpha uh, is something where I could add value beyond what others already do. You know, people like Bill Cunningham write amazing articles uh, that detail their research and others as well. Uh, that field is well occupied by people that are better at it than I am, and so I'm going to stick to charting on Twitter. Uh, the point you made about attention spans is definitely a good one. Uh, don't you think it would be pretty easy to just repurpose some of your threads on Twitter as a Seeking Alpha article, or do you just not see there being any value in doing that? Yeah, I think to build on the comment I just made, I, I want to stay on brand. Uh, brand consistency is an important part of the social media experiment. Um, I get. I would anticipate that I get far more engagement by putting a thread together. Um, uh, you know, where I really have to think about every word I choose, uh, and putting it on Twitter where people expect to find my work. Um, if I branched out to a different medium, I, I think that I would lose something. And there's a, a, another really important point that I should have made. This um, character limit on Twitter frustrates people. Um, I view it as a challenge. So. Uh, I view trying to communicate a complex topic in a Twitter thread as a form of art in itself. Um, you only have so many characters. That means every word has to count. Uh, and so I think one of the things that attracts people to some of my threads is that I have a high information density uh, in my tweets because you really do have to think about every word that you use. And if I, if I went to a long form or even just stitched them together, um, you wouldn't be constrained by that character limit and you'd be tempted to explain a little more and I think you would lose um, some of the magic. And so, no, I, 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 I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to chart on Twitter and thread on Twitter um, until the saga is over. Sounds like a good plan. Uh, that, that reminds me of thinking back to school days. Uh, up through secondary school, 
a lot of a lot of assignments would have a page some page target or word target where they wanted you to have at least a certain number of words and and then when I was in graduate business school it was kind of the opposite and try to make things more concise and I I would agree that Twitter helps to feed that um, getting back to Tesla though what initially drew you to follow Tesla are you are you an environmentalist just have always followed finance, or are you more of a, quote, car guy? Um, so I'm none of those. Um, I'm a deep obsessive, and I had, in a former time, become somewhat obsessive about uh, alternative energy and specifically solar technology. Um, and I'd spent a couple of years, you know, when I would be on flights or on weekends and nights just reading about various technical breakthroughs and, and theoretical frameworks that would make transition away from fossil fuels as the main source uh, of energy to solar. Uh, and in particular, I'd spent a fair amount of time um, reading about solar shingle technology, you know, distributed solar on homes uh, where you have the dual purpose of a shingle and the roof. Seemed very interesting, but I had sort of ruled that out after doing some study. And then I had what I call the realization, um, and I, I bet if you interviewed, and I hope you do, uh, many of the other members of Tesla Q, they would have a similar story. I, I call it the realization um, the moment Elon comes into your field and grossly exaggerates to the point where you wonder whether he's lying. Um, for me, that realization was October 2016 when Elon had the solar shingle reveal. Uh, before October 2016, I had a casual acquaintance of Tesla. I had some understanding of it. It was mostly positive. I'd been in a Model S. It was a really amazing car. I, I thought the interior was a little sparse, but that's just me. But I could tell that it was clearly a different kind of car. I, I've since come to the conclusion that's mostly because it was an electric car and, and less because it was a, a Tesla, but that's not the point. Um, I had a positive impression of Elon and Tesla, and I was at a conference, and a friend of mine who knows about or knew about my, my mild obsession with solar tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, Elon Musk is going to reveal a solar shingle. Um, and I was surprised by that. I was intrigued by that. I was a bit excited by that. And so I, I looked into it and, and realized that he was also, you know, Solar City and all those things. And, I remember live streaming that reveal uh, and being blown away uh, by the nonsense, to be frank. Uh, it has since been revealed by Fast Company or, or reported by Fast Company what I knew in the moment, that those shingles weren't real, that the technology was nowhere near where it was described to be. Um, there were gross exaggerations and um, many other issues with that reveal that just struck a chord with me and so was born my obsession with Tesla. Um, and when I become obsessed with something, I go deep, as you probably can tell. Uh, and so I'm on, you know, year two or three of this Tesla saga. Uh, and so for me, I started Tesla charts at the encouragement of, of one of my very good friends who supported me a lot um, as, as we've managed this account. Um, to express my uh, 
my analysis and my research in a way that I thought would be readily consumed. But to be totally clear, when I started Tesla charts, uh, we had a bet uh, as to whether or not I would get to 500 followers. Uh, I never imagined that uh, I'd be here you know, talking to you and that anybody would care to listen. That sounds very similar to the Boring Company reveal that was just a few weeks ago. Um, TC, have you always been an avid charter slash chartist? Uh, I saw that you mentioned you use spreadsheets for all of your charts. And uh, do you run the account solo? Yeah, you mentioned in the last answer that you had a friend that was somewhat involved. But is it a solo operation now? Yeah, so um, I've always been a data guy. I have a science background, a pretty rigorous science background. Uh, and in science as well, um, distilling complexity in the form of a visual um, was a skill that really allowed me to accelerate my career and, and achieve some level of success. I've always been passionate about data visualization as a consequence of the career choices I've made. Um, and then, of course, since I'm obsessive, I, I tried really hard to learn everything I could about it. Um, I only use Excel. A lot of people don't believe me, but I, I've just become super comfortable with Excel. I know how to use it inside out. I know how to make, make charts um, work. And, and to your question about running the account solo, um, all the tweets come from me, but my, my very good friend who convinced me to do this in the first place does help me uh, with the account uh, a lot, and especially on earnings days where we pump out so many charts. I couldn't do that. Um, by myself, but you know, contrary to um, what some of the bulls think, there's, this is not a organized team of multiple analysts. You know, uh, paid bashers, I think, is what Bagelder quotes famously calls them. Now, this is uh, this is me uh, and one good friend um, who encourages me a lot and helps me a lot, and and ultimately pitches in on super busy days uh and so yeah it's basically just a typical person unconnected to wall street tweeting about tesla you kind of kind of got into my next follow-up question there uh with talking about the assistance on earnings days but for the 30 charts in 30 minutes that you've done a couple times now how much advanced preparation does that require uh, it requires a fair bit um it's pretty straightforward so you know what we do is we we take the previous quarter's worth of data that we want to include in the chart and then we put in dummy numbers that we think are close to what will ultimately be published all the charts are pre-made and then what happens is um once the letter comes out um i'll go in and fill in the numbers and then my friend will um, start saving and sharing the charts back and forth, and then we sort of have the tweet order already typed up, um, and copy and paste the tweet in, pop in the chart, do a quick quality check because you don't. I've, I've done that twice and not made an error yet. Uh, knock on wood, um, and then get them all out within 30 minutes. It, it's a bit of a gimmick, um, but it's fun to do. I think the Tesla Q crowd likes it. Um, so we did chartness for Q2, and we did Charterween for. Q3 and for Q4, we're going to do Chinese New Year. Uh, it's the year of the pig in China. Uh, and, you know, Chinese New Year is, is a little later than the New Year we have here in the West. And so we thought that the Q4 earnings release would time well with 
the Chinese New Year. And so we just like to make little themes. But for sure, on the 34, 30 days, I couldn't do it without my friend. Um, it's just it's just too much to do. But we certainly do a lot of work in advance, and we do a lot of you know um, commercials for it in advance to try to drum up some interest. But it's mostly just fun. Um, it fills in that void nicely between when Tesla releases the earnings letter, and then we have um, the epicness of Elon's conference calls, which never seem to disappoint. Those are really fun nights. Uh, and so uh, just a little void fill there um, for the Tesla Q crowd. <laughs> you mentioned that it's the year of the pig, and that, that reminded me of the newest nickname for Elon Musk, the subsidy truffle hound, which I think in reality truffles are found by pigs, but you know we don't want don't to be too mean here. Uh, and I, I thought of another follow-up question. Has there ever been a chart in the 30 charts in 30 minutes where maybe they didn't reveal a number from one quarter to the, to the next and you had to have a backup? Or are you prepared for that if it happens in one of these next upcoming quarters? Um, so no and yes. So we have not yet run into a situation where one of our planned charts was no longer being disclosed. But most of the charts are going to be disclosed, like cash balance and revenue and gross margins and things like that, and interest. Um, the one chart that I'm a bit concerned about uh, is the Solar City megawatts installed chart, which is a pretty damning chart, actually, um, where Tesla has basically given up on um, on new installs relative to what they were when they bought Solar City. But um, so that's the one chart. That if they stop disclosing that number, uh, but we have two or three extra charts in the can, uh, as we say, uh, just to make sure. Because the last thing I want to do is advertise thirty for thirty and get stuck in only publishing twenty nine. That's a that's a good practice to have there. Uh, next is another question from Twitter. Could you go into a little bit more detail in explaining your can't raise, can't leave hypothesis, also known as hashtag CRCL? That was a fun thing we did this summer. I, and I think it's proven to be true. The genesis of that uh, hashtag was an observation from several Twitter users of the Tesla Q community, but Nicholas Stash uh, in particular, about the curious lack of insider sales at Tesla throughout 2018. That led to um, a hypothesis that there must be some massively negative disclosure uh, that came to be known as the secret um, inside of Tesla that prohibited insiders from either selling stock or creating new plans to sell stock in the future. And when Tesla disclosed the ongoing DOJ investigations in the third quarter, it's pretty clear that, um, at least uh, as interpreted by Tesla insiders, this was sufficient disclosure for them to begin selling again. So at the time that can't raise, can't leave was conceived, there was this curious lack of insider sales um, and a few other things which we can get into. Uh, and since then, I think the avalanche of insider sales that we've seen after Tesla uh, disclosed the DOJ investigation uh, sort of proved that there was indeed something that they didn't want to make public. Now, there's a whole separate issue of can't raise, can't leave, which is they still haven't raised. Um, and very interestingly, one of the things I observed after the 420 tweet fiasco is that it appeared as though nobody from the outside was going to be allowed to look at the books, um, you know, to believe 
Elon and Tesla, the 420 tweet was legit and they just needed to, you know, arrange the financing. Well, you can't arrange financing without due diligence and, and it doesn't appear that due diligence of any kind was done. There was a whole show, I call it Kabuki Theater, uh, around pretending to be doing due diligence, but nobody actually ever got a look at the books as far as I could tell. And so if, if there is some negative disclosure um, required to, say, get a new shelf registration, they don't seem willing to do that. At least that's how I read the situation. And of course, I'm biased. And if that's true, uh, and Elon leaves, well, the first thing that a new person's going to do when they come in is uh, kitchen sink all the bad news and get it out of the way. And so there seems to be this hesitation around registering a new shelf. I don't know why. They certainly desperately need funds. And so why they haven't raised equity at these elevated levels and why no sort of true outsiders are allowed in is just a curious observation. And so, you know, we almost tongue-in-cheek started CRCL, can't raise, can't leave, and um, seems like it's been pretty predictive. Um, it was it's coming up on eight, nine months since we started saying that on Twitter and they still haven't raised and he still hasn't left and no insiders, no true outsiders have, have gotten close to the books. And uh, just following up on that a little bit, uh, there was a really good thread within the last few days. I believe it was from Nicholas Stash uh, that outlined why Tesla appears to need about $5 billion right now just to fill holes in their balance sheet. And uh, another quick observation, some of these recent sales with the 10B51 plans, those plans, I think the the earliest one was set up on November 2nd or November 5th, I think. And then so it's November 5th, November 12th, and November 19th uh, for three of the recent insider sales. And I kind of predicted off the cuff that maybe another one the following Monday, set up the following Monday in November, the 26th, might come out in the near future. So I, I, don't, think, I don't think we've seen one yet that was set up that day. But the- so I, I can correct you a, a little bit. Um- the only strange part of all of this, and the thing that Nicola himself would tell you that he can't explain, is Deepak actually set up a plan in either June or July, right at the peak of all of this stuff in the summer of 2018, and that that was recently revealed in one of his sales. Um, so that's a very, very curious thing, and goes against the can't raise, can't leave hypothesis, uh, but if you sort of put that anomaly to the side, everything else is sort of consistent with it. Yeah, and the the one week cadence between when those plans were set up seems to me to be a bit curious. I don't know if maybe they had to wait one week in between or or something. I, I don't know. Uh, moving along to the next question, also from Twitter, what do you see happening with the VIN number gap down the road, or or do you see anything happening? And you can you can go into some background for anybody that may not have been following closely on Twitter. Yeah, sure. This is my latest obsession, of course. Um, VIN gap. So the VIN data itself is fascinating. It's very complex, and I would give myself a poor grade for explaining it thoroughly and comprehensively on Twitter. Uh, Part of the reason why I've refrained from going deep into the explanations is, is frankly, I, I don't quite understand it myself, but for those that are unaware, um, this 
issue started to surface when Tesla owners were complaining in volume and at volume on Twitter that they weren't getting their cars titled. Um, they weren't getting registrations from Tesla. They were driving on temporary plates and multiple temporary plates. And so I started to dig into this. And then IHS Market, which is sort of the definitive voice on these things in the U.S. for the auto industry, or globally, I suspect, um, published their preliminary estimate of Q3 registrations for Tesla. And it came up woefully short for the Model 3. And that piqued my interest, obviously. Um, and that's led to a deep journey. Uh, I've spent more time than I would care to admit thinking about going into charting, deciding not to publish, deciding to publish various elements of this registration gap. Um, the VINs on a car, the VIN number on a car is, of course, like the fingerprint or DNA of, of every vehicle. And and Tesla, of course, because the Tesla um, does things a little bit differently than the rest of the auto industry. And anytime you see an anomaly in the data from Tesla, you first have to ask yourself, is this truly an anomaly that might have a nefarious explanation, or is this just because Tesla is different? So one small example of that is Tesla applies to create new VINs at a rate that is much higher than the number of cars they ultimately produce. And there's whole swaths of bins that Tesla applies for at the NHTSA um, that they never ultimately produce. Uh, and of course, the Tesla Q hypothesis is that they're trying to gain Tom Randall's production model because that model in part relies on the highest number of the Model 3 VIN that they see in the field and also the rate at which Tesla is applying for new VINs uh, as well, I believe, is an input into that model. And so the birth rate of VINs has always been greater than the birth rate of cars, which is the first anomaly. And then ultimately, when a car is sold to a consumer, it ends up having to get registered. And so, uh, and then it will eventually show up in something called the NMBTIS. Um, National Motor Vehicle Title Information System, I believe. Um, and that's the part of the VIN gap that I've been sort of intrigued with. Um, why is it taking so much longer for Tesla to register their cars than uh, others? And uh, you may know, I'm sure you do, um, that I bought a Chevy Volt recently. Um, I'm crazy enough that part of the reason I bought that Volt is I wanted to see how long it would take for Chevy to register my car um, and it took two days uh, I drove off the lot in my new Volt um, at 6 p.m. and two days later um, it showed up in the, uh, the the titling database and so there's really no excuse I, I watched the salesperson register my car I, I left the dealer with the car registered and then it took two days to show up in the database I I asked the salesperson tons of questions about it. He was a little, little curious as to why I cared that nobody would ever drive off a lot here without having their car registered, he said. Uh, and so it was literally three mouse clicks. Didn't seem like that big a deal. But here we have scores and scores of people online without tags and this massive delay in what Tesla claims are its deliveries and what ultimately shows up in the database. And so 
my plan is hopefully sometime maybe this weekend to put together a, a comprehensive thread on everything I know and what I don't know and what I understand and what I don't understand and just sort of put it out there because this has gotten a level of prominence um, consistent with the curiosity of the data. And so I'm going to probably dig into it more and hopefully do a bit of a better job explaining what I know and what I don't know uh, on Twitter. Thank you for that, TC. Um, on one hand, the the VIN gap is consistent with the fact that a lot of Tesla drivers have unregistered vehicles. So from that angle, it seems kind of innocent, but maybe from some other angles, and we don't, we don't want to speculate too much, but from some other angles, it may appear that maybe Tesla's trying to, to delay needing to have some cash outflows for maybe sales tax or maybe something related to one of their ABLs, uh, their asset-backed loans. Uh, and don't speculate too much, but could you go into a little more detail about any of that stuff? Sure. Um, and believe me, I've thought about all possible explanations, um, innocent and not innocent. Um, I'm pretty sure it's on purpose. Um, in other words, there's, a, there's one hypothesis that this is just gross incompetence, which, by the way, they sell cars for a living. Registering cars shouldn't be something that you're grossly incompetent at doing, but that's neither here nor there. The incompetence hypothesis, I believe, is nullified by the New York VIN data, which is a gold mine, because New York is, is interestingly publishes very detailed, specific registrations down to the VIN number with dates. Um, and I can tell you, I haven't published this yet, but as of yesterday, 100% of the New York VINs um, that were registered in the state in Q4 are in the database. And so here we are in early January, I guess mid-January, um, and there's no issue getting 100% of those VINs into the database, at least the VINs that New York currently claims were registered in the fourth quarter. Um, what, happened, what will happen in February is New York will release a revised list and they will add back to add you know, some deliveries in December and then we'll see if and when those hit the database. But we're talking a sample size of I think a couple thousand um, that have very efficiently made their way into the database. And so it's possible. Um, there's all kinds of other clues out there that, that may or may not get into in my thread or speculate here. But for example, you know, the Tesla Motor Club forms post VINs and delivery dates. And to the extent those are real, um, and not all of them are, you can learn some things about patterns and whatnot. And so one of the observations is um, there seems to be, a, you know, the, the gap in registration seems to be concentrated in California. Not exclusively, but statistically relevant. Um, if you're um, buying a car in California, you're, you're likely to be um, substantially delayed and or missing from the database. And, and so, you know, incompetence, I think, can be ruled out. And so if it's done on purpose, there's got to be a reason. And, and my suspicion is that there's a cash reason um, because Tesla is cash constrained and, and there are other, well, I believe Tesla is cash constrained and the evidence for that is the totality of, of their behavior, um, squeezing suppliers and, and um, slowing refunds and, and other activities that you wouldn't do that could damage your brand in the absence of a true need to conserve cash. Uh, so I suspect that there is a cash reason for it, although I don't quite 
understand it. There's lots of hypotheses around it, like sales tax or ABL, boring against their asset back loan, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't know, but I, I, I'm confident in saying, although not certain, that this is on purpose. And if it's on purpose, there's reason. The reason almost certainly has to do with cash. And with that, we're going to end part one of the interview with Tesla Charts. Uh, he was very generous with his time and was able to give us plenty of content to fill two episodes that are much, much longer than the episode length that I had anticipated when I started the podcast. So that was part one for episode nine. And check back in for part two in episode 10. Have a good day. Bye-bye.